Welcome to my podcast. Here you can listen to six episodes of Snowware, the action-adventure novel set in the snowy Alps. The target readership is approximately 10 to 13 years of age. After you have listened to the podcast, you may wish to purchase the book. There are three methods. You can download the ebook directly from me by emailing heatherflood at hotmail.com. The cost is $5 or £3. Alternatively, visit the publisher lulu.com. The novel's length is 266 pages. You can order direct from me a signed copy of the paperback. I hope you'll enjoy listening to Snowware. Hello listeners, this is Heather Flood. Welcome to my home podcast. I am a children's author. Here you can listen to me reading my novel Snowware in installments. And you can visit my website www.snowwarethebook.com Snowware is spelled with two W's in the middle. You can buy the book at www.lulu.com or at Amazon. And at Amazon you can read my blog. Now if you're sitting comfortably, I will begin. In last week's episode, Vinny, novice skier, was trying an ambitious run with his nervous friend Arthur Moe, better known as Arthur Moe. They became separated, and next thing Vinny was plummeting through a hole in the snow. He landed in a white corridor and was met by a strange character, Sal, or Sallow Pet, to give him his full title. On a toe button with skis on, Vinny is compelled to follow Sal along endless passages. Sorry, Sal threw over his shoulder, is the avalanche machine going back into its shed? Now you're here, it won't be needed for a while. Vinny didn't begin to try to unravel this statement. He was concentrating on not thinking at all. That was his defence mechanism when things took a frightening turn. Now he looked up to see that the passage had at last come to an end. Sal was waiting. Vinny was forced to release his toe button before it yanked him off his feet. Sal was, for the first time, wearing a smile and holding out a bulbous drinking glass. The glass was blue and unusually thick. Taking it, Vinny realised that it was made of ice. The drink inside was syrupy and warm, however. It was the colour of mango flesh. There was a black straw made of licorice. He seemed to have no choice but to suck on it. You'll feel fine in a moment. It was true that his ankle suddenly didn't hurt a bit, but in the last moments he had developed a headache and was feeling horribly cold. Did Sal realise this? Or was he just referring to the ordeal of being dropped down a snow hole that had felt like the inside of the coldest chimney Father Christmas had ever encountered? Either way, the headache went. Sal took back the glass, then smashed it on the ground, and Vinny simultaneously declared, Splendid! He clapped a gloved hand over his mouth, and the top end of his ski pole hit him on the cheek. Who, or what, had taken over his voice box, he wanted to know. At the end of the moving corridor was a round cavern, its ceiling a white dome of snow that was as smooth as alabaster. There were a number of doors, but the largest one bore a plaque with the name Mr. S. Lalom. Sal glided forward on his skis. 
his slim shoulders rocking from side to side slightly. This way, please. Vinny dug his, his ski poles into the snowy floor and was surprised to find he was propelling himself along at a cracking speed. Sal had opened the door with a split second to spare. Unceremoniously, Vinny sped past him and landed with both skis under S. Lalom's desk. He swung his arms wildly to try to maintain his balance. Then S. Lalom came into focus, and Vinny, bowing slightly, amazed himself again, for this time he said, "'Awfully sorry!' Think nothing of it, my boy. The man's voice boomed back at him. Eslalom's face broke into a broad grin, and he chortled. <laughs> That's exactly how I like to arrive in my own office myself. <laughs> Follow me, and we'll see what you're made of. They passed Sal, who had taken up a position at the door with his arms folded. Vinny thought he saw a disapproving look on the long, thin face. The rear wall of Eslalom's office had begun dramatically to split in two, and the two halves were sliding back now to reveal a ski slope. Powdery snow was very gently falling, and far above them tiny firs could be seen. Slithering forward across the flat floor towards the bottom of the slope, Vinnie found it again uncannily easy to make progress. Now he and Mr. Lalom were going gently uphill, and a slight push with his ski poles was all that was needed. Together, Vinny and Eslalom managed to get to the top of the slope without any mechanical assistance. Instead of a rude word escaping from his lips, Vinny found the words, Goodness me! slipping out. This was no nursery slope. It was steeper even than the, than the one Vinny had been skiing a short while before. Far below them, Sal could be seen standing stock still. Eslalom's and Vinny's skis had worn a snaking double path straight up from the office desk. Eslalom now offered to lead the way down, and as he moved off, he crisscrossed the straight lines the two of them had made, creating a snaking pattern, dipping and weaving and looking rather an odd sight in his business suit. Eslalom was a bulky man, yet grace personified on the snow. Vinny was wary. He had meant to set off before Mr. Alalom reached the bottom, but it was too late. His descent had been amazingly rapid. Now Vinny had an audience of two. Could he manage those same sweeping curves, or would he do an embarrassing downhill sprint and ricochet off the fancy-carved desk, which at this moment was little more than a speck? Vinny hadn't been entirely happy with his hired skis throughout the trip. The right one tended to race ahead, and the left one seemed to curve up at the front more than was normal. He had thought earlier that he might insist on a different pair tomorrow. Somehow, now he doubted if he would ever again see the inside of the hire shop. Then again, perhaps he only had to pass this present test to be granted the opportunity to leave and rejoin his fellow pupils. Not even the prospect of Frankie Manson's ill-meaning grin across a dining table would faze him if he could just return. Finney glanced down now nervously at his feet and willed the skis to behave. Then he took off. This was skiing as he had never known it. His body wasn't that uncertain thing that could waver and fall at any moment. His ankles and knees, which earlier on the real slopes had been tense with the effort of holding himself in alignment, were soft and relaxed. Sal then managed a smile, visibly more relaxed now that he was away from his boss. Let's take a look at your chalet. 
This sounded good. A ski chalet was what Vinnie and the rest of his school party had hoped for on the visit. Wood-panelled walls and roaring fires had filled their imaginations. In fact, they were in a concrete hotel with a squeaking lift and that cold, cavernous dining room. The only plus was the table football game. He and Sal ascended in a lift which moved noiselessly. It was extra large to accommodate passengers wearing skis. Its sides were blocks of ice, but unfortunately there was nothing to see. The lift shaft was solid snow. When they came out, a metal door barred their way. It had a keypad, into which Sal typed a password. A camera lens protruded from a perch above the door. It whirred, clicked, then finally beeped before the door swung open. As they were being let through, Sal spoke sternly. Every time you come through here, the camera will check that you are authorised to pass. It has just taken your picture, and it will compare you with it on each future occasion. You must stand exactly where we just did. I shall give you the password now. Vinnie waited expectantly. It's Snowplow. Okay. You must keep it secret. Of course. Vinnie was thinking, I do know what a password is. Numerous doors faced them when Sal and Vinny exited. Outside each of these doors was a rack for placing skis. Monte Rosa, this is yours, Sal announced. The chalet's name was carved into the door, which, like everything else, was made of snow. They deposited their four skis in the rack, and Sal unlocked the chalet door. Inside it was magnificent. There was rosy wood everywhere. There were three broad stairs up to a seating area. Further wide steps led towards the dining area to the left, and another shallower set led to the kitchen on the right, where all the cabinets were made from carved, highly varnished cherry wood. There was no roaring fire, however, just an obviously fake fireplace with a heavy wood mantel shelf. Best of all was the bedroom, in what appeared to be a sort of turret, for the room was circular and had a panoramic view of the mountains. Multicoloured skiing figures could be seen darting down the slopes and flashing out from behind clumps of evergreen trees. There were dramatic cliff faces and a whole jagged series of mountain tops. Finney breathed a sigh of relief. He wasn't cut off from the real world after all. Sal coughed behind him <coughs> while Vinnie was drinking in this welcome scene. He half turned and watched as Sal walked over to a switch on the wall. He pressed it. And to Vinny's dismay, the scene froze. All the skiers were suddenly still, and the gent gently drifting snow was caught in mid-air. Another flick of the switch, and the scene swung into action once again. It was a fake, a sort of cine-round. The reality was that even in this authentic-looking mountainside chalet, Vinny was firmly buried underground. Sal seemed to expect this disappointed reaction. He gave a shrug then led the way back into the living area, where a control panel on the window wall enabled Sal to open the curtains and play much the same scene in here. Disgusted, Vinny explored his kitchen. There were ice poles in the freezer and elk steaks ready to be cooked. He was inspecting the sweets, chocolate polar bears and jelly bambies, when a sound caused him to freeze. <laughs> 